Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. If you're interested in buying a short-term rental in one of the top vacation markets in America, just go to theshorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent. If you purchase a home with the shop, you'll have access to all of our client-only benefits, such as training on how to manage your short-term rental. So we'll teach you everything you need to know from how to set up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to how to use the property management software that you'll need to streamline your business, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners, candy people, etc. We've taught thousands of people just like you how to buy and manage their vacation homes from anywhere in the world. So head on over to theshorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent to get started. I do have to mention that we're brokered by EXP or else I get in trouble. We'll see you guys over there. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Short-Term Show. I've got a super cool guest today who does things a little bit differently than a lot of the guests that we've had on previously. So very excited to hear her story. Her name is Pam Holt. Pam, you want to introduce yourself to our audience really quick? Sure. I am, uh, let's see, I guess foremost, I'm a real estate broker and I've done that for many, many, many years, my entire career. I'm also an attorney and I'm a short-term rental host and I am a host educator, I guess you would say. But the I think the thing that differentiates me from most of your guests is that I serve guests from my primary residence. And so I don't have, you know, a hundred different doors and I just have one house that I live in that performs really well for me. Yeah, that is, that is different. And I'm really, really interested to dive in and hear some of this, but in your bio, it says you've been a real estate broker for 38 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) hey. Not to comment on appearances. I started when I was five, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say not to to comment on appearances, but you don't look old enough to have been in any industry for 38 years. You look great. Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) deceiving. Um, So I kind of want to dive into that really quick because I think that's a very, it takes a very specific personality type, especially that's a very long time to be a broker. And I think a lot of people don't understand that when you are a real estate agent or a real estate broker, it is a very, there's a very heavy emotional toll that goes along with that. So, you know, when you're you're buying a house, you know, as an investor, as a first time home buyer or second time, you know, whatever you're buying, that it is an emotional roller coaster. And when you're an agent, you are on that roller coaster with your clients. And I think people who aren't in the business don't realize that we lose so much sleep. If, you know, I've lost sleep, but probably taken years off my life worrying about people's deals and, oh my gosh, you know, this is their last dollar that they're spending on this and we can't make this work. And, you know, whatever is going sideways in a deal, like you have that kind of 
near constant anxiety if something's going wrong. And I think that, you know, that's kind of a testament to your personality to, to be able to deal with that kind of, and people are going to be like, oh my gosh, this girl's such a wuss. She can't uh, handle being in real uh. estate. That's not what I mean. I just mean, it's like, you know, there is de- a definite emotional toll of, of helping being the person that's kind of shepherding people through this really huge deal in their lives. And you do, you're, you're in that boat with them. So um, how have you been able to manage that for that many years? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I have never spoken about this, but it's so <laughs> true. And it's funny that you think it's part of my personality because <laughs> part of it is, but part of it isn't. So I am an introvert. In the <laughs> and so, but for work, I extrovert my personality so that I can, you know, kind of lead this way. And I guess the whole, you know, kind of mama bear, you know, part of my life comes out in full force when I'm helping people find, you know, a place because I, like you say, I really do want this to work for them. I want them to make money at the end of this. If they decide to sell, I want them to be happy and safe. And when I see them kind of making decisions that I'm like, yeah, I want to step in because one, I want to know them, you know, throughout this transaction and and in the future. And two, I just don't want anybody to walk into a bad deal. And because I just, I would carry it. I would carry it. So I made it a practice to, um, to try to take some of the emotion out of the transaction and to try to, which is hard for, you know, primary <laughs> residents. Um, but I want to, I want people to see the transaction, to see that this makes sense you know, from a financial perspective. And, um, and so I kind of approach it as, you know, yeah, this is your home, but this real estate needs to perform. You can't, you can't carry this, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta work for you in some way, which is kind of what uh, has led me to what I do now, which is less residential work. Although I still work with um, clients. I work with a lot of women, as a matter of fact, Um, but I want them to see their real estate even more differently than even when we were just buying the real estate together. So now I want them to see it function as something that can carry itself or, you know, not only carry itself, but maybe make you some money. So that's kind of the evolution of how things have gone over the years. But you're right. It is an emotional toll. And it is, I'm telling you from the introvert's perspective, you know, when I work with clients for a, for a weekend, I have to take a couple of, you know, whatever, some amount of time and just, you know, just be by myself. I have to just, <laughs> you know, try to come back to myself because, you know, extroverting is uh, is an effort. But um, but but, you know, that's another story. I've, I've practiced it so many times that, you know, <laughs> I hardly feel like I can claim it anymore. <laughs> I've got you. I've got you. So let's talk about this modern home sharing. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of almost sounds to me like you've kind of modernized the traditional like bed and breakfast model kind of, maybe you're not actually making breakfast, but you know, you're hosting them in your primary home. You're spending the night in the house with them. Right. Or are you, are you, oh, no, you're moving. Okay. No, never mind. No. So you're so leaving let me, let me, the house. Let start, okay. Yeah. Let me start from All scratch. Right, so, yeah. You tell um, me, start from the beginning. Okay, <laughs> so, I, so I live in Chicago and I have a, a home with four bedrooms and I have two daughters and uh, one of my daughters went off to college and uh, before she left, I realized that I'd spent so much time working and, you know, in real estate, if you 
you know, a lot of times if you step away from your business, you know, you're not making money necessarily <laughs> from that part of your business. And so uh, for that reason, we didn't take a lot of vacations like like I did with my family when I was younger. We would take these ridiculous vacations and we'd drive to California in our motorhome or, or just something crazy, you know, all kind of like Partridge family, like, you know, <laughs> uh, you know all of us in a in a motorhome instead of a bus. But so, okay. So we hadn't done a lot of that. And I, largely because I was taking care of my, my parents. And, and so we had to be stationary. We had to be local. We couldn't travel a lot, but um, my daughter went off and she was doing a service project overseas uh, in uh, college. And I was like, you know what? I can't, you know, I got to get over there. I got to spend some time with her. I got to have to let her know that she goes somewhere, you know, I'm going to be there. Literally, I'm going to be there. And so I decided to go and visit and, and step away from the business for a minute. And a friend of mine was like, oh, yeah, while you're gone, you should put your house up on Airbnb and, you know, have somebody stay in it while you're gone. I was like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that is crazy. I live in my house. It's just a house. I got a dog. You know, it's not, I don't live on the beach. It, you know, who's going to come to my house? But I was like, well, you know, the thing is, I don't really have anything to lose because I'm going to be gone anyway. So I might as well, you know, give it a shot. So I put the house up. Before we even leave, we have our first guest who's our first booking. So the guest is coming like the same day we're leaving. And um, we're planning, like, I'm planning to be away a week because, of course, God forbid, I'm away from my business any longer than that. And um, and so I get, we get to Africa. We're going to South Africa. We get there and I start to get more and more inquiries. And I'm like, hey, this is interesting. I didn't expect to have any inquiries. All of a sudden I keep getting and I'm like, okay. So I kept accepting the, the bookings and we kept extending our trip. And at, by the end, we were three weeks and we did three different countries and, you know, the, the bookings kept coming. And I was like, OK, I, I can see this, you know, I can see this working. And so we, we that's where it started. I um, my kids and I, we travel when we have guests. So we're never here. I've never met any of my guests. Uh, the first Six months of us doing that, um, the house made fifty thousand dollars, and you know we went to Europe and Mexico and Spain, and we did a lot that first six months. And I started thinking, you know, this is easier than, than selling real estate, <laughs> frankly. Uh, and you know, we're we're seeing the world as a family, and that is um, that was really important to me. As I saw my daughter kind of moving away, you know, I was like, I, we need these memories. And this is a way we can do it without me, you know, going into savings, you know, working more, whatever. This is somebody else is paying for these trips. So the next full year, and mind you, I can only do this when my youngest daughter has school breaks. So it's only, you know, summer, it's a week maybe during the holidays, spring break. It's not, you know, we actually live here. So the next full year, we did it again, and the house made over a hundred grand. And um you know, that was it. I was like, okay, this is, this is sustainable. I can do this. We can travel, um, you know, we can travel together and, uh, and that's where it started. And so I, now I teach women to do the same kind of thing. And I tell them, you know, the first thing you have to do is separate yourself emotionally from this real estate. 
you know, um, and this is the biggest thing for people. It's your home. Yeah. And it's where you raise your kids It's where, you know, whatever grandma lives there with you and all this stuff, but it's also a vehicle and it can, uh, it can work for you. It doesn't have to be, you know, a burden. It can be what it really should be is an asset, a working asset. And so that's how we do it. All right. Well, I have a lot of questions. That's awesome, by the way, to to be able to go on those vacations and it's your house is making you money and it's not just sitting sitting there. That's I love it. But my first question, which I think is everyone's first question, is when you do this, what do you do with your stuff? And you said you've still got a kid at home. I've got two kids at home and they have a ton of crap. And it sounds like yours are older than mine. They're five and three. So you know, there's Barbies all over the place. LOL dolls is like the new thing. There's, you are going to step on a hot wheel in my house at some point. So what do you do with your stuff when you have people coming in? That's the first question I get all the time. And so um, one of the things we did, and this was so personally freeing for me is that, you know, I, I decluttered, I got rid of, you know, just stuff. And I, you know, and I started to see it as stuff. And um, and I wasn't going to let the stuff uh, keep me from making these memories. And so things I hadn't, you know, whatever, seen in years, things that were in boxes. And I wasn't even sure what was in the box and and uh, and and just excess stuff that you accumulate. Um, we started to get rid of. We started to move some of it to another house that we have. And then we started to, and we packed up some stuff. So I have an owner's closet. Okay. That we put the things in that, you know, that we really use on a regular basis. So our linens and, you know, our toiletries and all of our stuff. And that's packed up. And it allowed us to empty out, um, you know, dressers and closets and, and space for guests so that they, you know, don't. So that and when they come to my house, it doesn't feel like necessarily someone else is living there. So because they don't see our clothes, they don't see, you know, our toothbrushes or whatever. We we empty out drawers and things so they can have that space. And so it's it's it was an evolution. You know, we didn't just trash everything the first time the guests came and, and you know, started there. And when I started to see how um, attractive my house was to people and it's not to all people. This is this is one thing that really I'd stumbled over and I, I was like, man, I've been doing this for a thousand years. How did I get this wrong? I thought the type of person that would come to my house was, uh, was a family. Cause that's who lives in my house, a family. And I thought this family would come to Chicago. I live a block from the lakefront. So I'm thinking, you know, okay, they're going to the beach. Let me get some beach towels. Let me get some, you know, beach chairs. And, you know, let me do this whole thing for this family. Who's coming to enjoy a beach in Chicago. Nobody comes to Chicago to go to the beach. It is cold here. It, there's a lot of places you can go to where the beach is really nice. The Chicago's beach is not. That's not why you come here. It turns out that I live walking distance from the Midwest's largest convention center. And so I get, yeah, how did I not get this right? I get business travelers and um, I get uh, small groups of unrelated colleagues who come and want to stay. They want to have separate sleeping spaces, but common gathering spaces, and they want to walk or Uber or, you know, divvy bike or scoot down to McCormick Place 
and go to their trade show or conference or convention. And then they want to come back and they want to debrief and they want to hang out. And apparently they want to drink a lot of beer because that's what I find when I get back. And uh, and that's who comes. And so, you know, it's so I say that to say it took me a little bit to figure that out. And it just as it took me a little bit to um, declutter, remove things, uh, scale down and um, and have a more nimble kind of uh, lifestyle. And I love it because I don't want to pay taxes on a house <laughs> to support a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I want to. I want to be at a bistro in Paris, you know, I want to. Yeah. No, well, don't we all want to be at a bistro in Paris? Yeah. Have you ever had anybody like break your stuff or anything, get up and walk away? No, no. I have one spill and, uh, and I guess, you know, and this was kind of shady on the people's part. They put something over the spill. So I didn't, you know, notice it right away. Um, and, but I just filed a, a claim and, uh, and I had that, that piece, luckily it just cleaned up really well, but I filed the claim and I, and I know that's something that people worry about. And so I say to them, if there's something that's really going to hurt your feelings, if something happens to it, you know, then that's something that you take out of the house or right. you, you lock up. But I also want to say that people aren't in general, people are not coming to your house to break your stuff or to steal your stuff or to rifle through your stuff. They're coming for whatever reason they're coming for. So they're coming for a family event. They're coming for a wedding a graduation. They're going to the conference. It's not your stuff. That is the reason they're coming, you know? And that is such a good point because even if they were this, so I, I had this whole conversation with myself and my brain this weekend because we went to New York and somebody took my luggage off of the the conveyor belt and walked off with it. And I had an air tag in it. Mm. And at first in my brain, I'm like so mad. I'm like, somebody stole my luggage. And then I start thinking about it and I'm talking to the gate person and they're like, well, actually, uh, there's this piece of luggage that was left and it did look kind of similar to mine. And they're like, they they probably just grabbed the wrong thing. And in my brain, I'm still going, I'm still mad. I'm like, somebody, they stole it. Yeah, I, I did it. And it was super embarrassing because I thought for sure this was mine. It looked identical. And I'm like, no, this is my bag. And then I'm like, oh, this is your bag. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, but I had to like, tell. I'm like, okay, put yourself in a potential criminal shoes. Is it a good racket to walk into a an airport and grab a suitcase because you can only grab one or two. You're limited on what you can grab. You have no idea what's going to be in there. It's probably not going to be money. So I'm like, no, this person did not come here specifically to grab my suitcase off. That is not a good use of criminal time. It's not a good uh, criminal (laughs) strategy, right? Yeah. So same thing with people coming to stay in your house. They're not coming specifically to mess with your crap. They're coming because they have stuff to do. They don't care. Quote to quote my mother, nobody's as worried about you as they you think they are. <laughs> exactly. And nobody cares about your stuff like you think they do. So, yeah. you know, and, and you know, really, how precious is your stuff? I mean, maybe, maybe people feel differently than I do, but I'm like, you know, I bought this stuff. If something happens, I can buy it again. You know, uh, it's it's not that big a deal, you know. Well, continuing 
down the path of talking about stuff. So when you go to do this, so are you moving out for like a weekend or are you going on these big long trips like you were talking about or a little bit of both? Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily do it for a weekend in my case, although I have. Um, but typically the conference goers are here for about four nights. And so um, sometimes I'll tag, you know, I can get them or I've had situations where it's, you know, back to back to back to back to back. So I can be gone for long stretches. I've been gone for three weeks. I've been gone for the summer. Um, but I've also been gone for the weekend. And when I do that kind of thing, I will either stay at a hotel myself because my kids like to stay at hotels. So we'll pick a, you know, a fancy or a funky or a trendy hotel in town. And, you know, it's still a fraction of what I can charge for my house. Because remember, I'm, I've got corporate travelers. So the budget, you know, apparently is pretty hard, pretty large. And, you know, if you're trying to put four people in four different hotel rooms, I mean, that's a lot of money. And so when you, even though I charge a lot on a nightly basis for my house, it still includes a garage, you know, a, a kitchen, a gathering space. It's all a better deal than four separate hotel rooms, you know, for four colleagues. So I've been able to charge as much as $1,500 a night for my house. So I can get, you know, a hotel room for, you know, a portion of that. My kids are happy, you know, and it works out. I don't do it so often for two nights, but I, but I have. Did you know there's actually a company that will help you find and purchase your first or next short-term rental? The Short-Term Shop is the premier short-term rental acquisition company. They have a team of realtors with tons of experience, and most of them actually own their own properties as well. They are the best in the business and would be happy to help you with your next purchase. You can find them at theshorttermshop.com. Brokered by EXP. Theshorttermshop.com. Join me live every Thursday for a weekly Q&A all about short-term rental. If you like my vibe, if you're digging the long hair extraordinaire cash flow Carl and want to ask me questions in real time, Join me at strquestions.com. It's a lot of fun. strquestions.com. Okay, so my question is, and and I know you teach a course on this and we'll talk about this in a minute too. Do you have like a checklist, like a move out checklist? And I ask this specifically because I think there's a lot of people who could benefit from doing this. I personally have had a not great experience with staying in a house that someone lived in that they move out when you check in only because I didn't know, like they didn't disclose it up front and they, their stuff was everywhere, which I probably could have dealt with had it just been uh, myself and my husband, just two adults, but with little kids, I mean, I watch them like a hawk anyway. I'm kind of a helicopter parent. I admit that, but I was like all worried of like, oh, what if she dropped a pill on the floor or, you know, it's just because people's stuff is everywhere. And I'm like, oh, there's food everywhere and, you know, the pantry. So I was just like worried the whole time that my kids were going to get into something. So do you have like a list of best practices for doing this so that you're because I think it is important for the guests to feel like someone doesn't live there? Right, right. I, I, make it, I mean, when we move out, we move out. So there's nothing in our refrigerator or freezer. There's nothing in our kitchen cabinets with the exception of, um, you know, condiments, 
seasoning spices, maybe some staples like flour and whatever sugar, something that someone might actually use. But any other groceries or food products that we have around, we take out uh, because I want people to, um, you know, not. I, I don't want them to worry like you were worrying. I don't want them to think, oh, I don't want to eat your rice or it just is a different vibe. I think when you are very aware that people live there, I also um, in my listing, I do say, you know, this is my house while you're here, I'll be traveling or whatever. Um, but I let them know that. Uh, but, you know, everything else, you know, I don't have linens in there that aren't for them. I don't have towels. I have a stack of towels that are all for them in the linen closet. Um, all, for the most part, all aspects of us are gone, put away, gone. I don't have, I don't have family photos out. You know, I make it, I'm very sensitive to the fact that someone else is coming to stay and I wouldn't feel real comfortable, you know, just knowing that it was their house and their stuff and all I, I'd be like you, I wouldn't want to mm -hmm. do it like that. So I'm, I tell people that they need to neutralize things as much as possible and, uh, and make the guests feel like, you know, you don't live there, but it's kind of just like when um, somebody's selling their home and you tell them, you know, you got to take the clutter out, you know, as much as you can make it uh, neutral and, um, and and not empty because you don't want it to be soulless, but as much as you can take out, uh, you know, the more people can see themselves being there, their stuff. And, uh, and it's the same kind of thing when you have guests coming. It's even maybe more so when you have guests coming. I totally agree with that. And, you know, maybe that situation I had was also because it was just kind of like dirty in general. Oh, um, no, I don't do dirty. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm -mm. I have had a, quite a few guests ask me if, you know, if anyone is, is there anyone living here or they'll ask for things like, you know, can we come, you know, two days early? I'm like, I actually live here. You can't come two days early because I'm still <laughs> here. So, um, you know, I, I take that as a compliment, um, but I'm real, you know, I'm real particular about things. And so, you know, I don't do dirty. I don't do clutter. And <laughs> I try to provide a really high level of, um, you know, of guest experience because, you know, I don't want somebody paying me $1,500 to get in here and they're just disappointed. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's not a good business model. Right. So do you think that doing this has affected your in-between rental time? So the has it affected the way you live in between rentals? Are you more minimalist now? Like, it sounds like maybe you have done a lot of decluttering. Yeah, I am. I don't, uh, you know, when we're here during the school year, when my kid's back in school, uh, you know, we'll bring back the things that we need, but we don't bring back as much stuff as we used to have here. And frankly, it feels better. It feels better. I can find things now. We don't have, you know, <laughs> I, have, I probably had, you know, I had a lot of shoes and uh, and so I don't I don't have as many shoes anymore. And it feels at least for me where I am in my life, it feels better not to have all that stuff. I don't have to keep it clean. I don't have to you know, I don't have it there reminding me that, you know, I haven't worn it in four years. It's just it just feels better to live a lighter life for me right now. Yeah, I'm bad about the the clothes I haven't worn in four years. I'm like, but I'm gonna be that skinny again. I'm so no. I'm gonna get 
that. <laughs> so I had, you know, I have clothes for just a whole spectrum of sizes. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stay this one size. And so I'm not going to need this and I'm not going to need this. That's just it. You know, I, it, it kind of, you know, it kind of makes you decide what's important, you know, and I and I kind of like that because, you know, I don't I don't want to have, I don't want to have these options in this particular case, you know? (laughs) I totally agree. And I think, so, I mean, I think you've got everybody like ready to do this. I'm ready to go rent my house right now and go on safari to Africa. But let's talk about this. I think this is going to be the biggest question everybody has at this point in the show is like, how much can you make doing something like this? It depends. Um, And, you know, it depends on a lot of different things. So I tell people who are thinking about doing this to do an analysis, just like you would if you were selling or buying your house. You need to know what's going on in your specific market. So are other people in your area doing this? What are they charging? Uh, is there some uh, anchor kind of um that would attract guests to your area. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the beach, which it wasn't. Um, And it doesn't have to be a convention center. It could be a hospital or university. I get a lot of people who are bringing their kids to college and they want to, you know, they just don't want to, they don't want to just dump them. They want to be there for a while or they're coming for a graduation or a wedding or some kind of family event and they want the whole family together. Um, I've had several different guests come who were having one of the family members were having a medical procedure. So um, the family wanted to gather with the patient after while they were recuperating before they could travel. So, you know, so that was a convenient thing for them to do. So the point is, what's why would guests come to your space? Why are you there? You know, think about that. So um, once you do that and once you understand what your market is like, Um, Once you figure out, you know, how many, what spaces are you actually allowing access to? Um, Do you have a two bedroom? Do you have a one? Do you have a, like just a lower level that you're giving access to? You know, what part of your home uh, are you sharing? And then, you know, you've got to, when you do the analysis, you've got to compare, you know, apples to apples. Don't compare your one bedroom studio to the, you know, to a four bedroom house and think that you're going to get that same kind of nightly rate. And uh, and then you've got to decide, you know, how much disruption are you willing to um, tolerate? Will you be gone the whole summer? Do you want to do, you know, just weekends? Are you going to be is four days on, four days off? You know, how do you want to set it up? And uh, once you come up with that kind of plan and some, you know, for, for a lot of people, especially families, it takes some forethought. Right. If you can only go in the summer, but, you know, you're going to go for the whole summer, you got to start planning. A ways back to, you know, where is the stuff going to go? You know, what what dates can we actually take people on? When are we going to open up our calendar? How's this going to look? And uh, and then, you know, you kind of you do like everybody else does with a short term or midterm rental. You kind of test the market. And if you're getting an interest at a particular price point. Cool. If you can experiment and bump it up a little bit the next time. That's even better if you're adding, you know, amenities along the way to sort of upgrade your space. I mean, when I first started out, my price, because I was so nervous, I didn't think anybody was coming. I charged $500 a night and I was thrilled. And, uh, but then I was like, well, wait a minute, that, 
that doesn't, you can't get four, you know, hotel rooms or $500 a night. And so eventually, as I, you know, honed in on my actual guest avatar and what kinds of things that they want, and I started to fill the house with those kinds of things based on the income I was getting, um, then I just, you know, I kept going up and up and up. And then you'll, you know, the market will tell you when you're, you know, when it's time to just level off. Right. <laughs> so I think the next question that all the listeners probably have is like, how do I do this? And you can help them do that because you have a course on how to do that. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I have a membership community and inside it, because people have a lot of questions and um, and they have a lot of the same kind of questions because we all want to know where's your stuff go? Is it safe? What should I charge? You know, what stuff should I have? And so we get together uh, in our community and we talk about those things. We talk about regulations uh, because that's always different in Chicago. It's different you know, neighborhood to neighborhood, uh, building to building even. So not all dwellings are um, are permitted to, to rent on a short-term basis. So we go through some of that. We go through the setting of business because it actually is a business. This is a business once you start charging, it may still be your home, but you're in business now and you need to operate in terms of the government, the IRS and and everybody else. You've got to operate like a business. So what does that look like? We do that. And and we literally um, I will. Uh, I've had several people very insecure about their space. You know, is anybody going to find my space attractive? Is, you know, is my space OK? Is it big enough? Is it you know, is it fancy enough? Is it whatever? There, there are a lot of, there's a lot of anxiety around that. And so I will, you know, have them take their camera and go around and show me their space. And uh, because I've been in real estate for so long, and you know how it is, you're, you're a realtor. So you know what a, a, a well-staged space looks like. You know uh, what, what it should look, you know, how bright the picture should be. You know, the toilet seats should be down in the photos. You know, you know, you know how to make a space look great in a photograph. And so we go through all that. And then we go through writing the description and, uh, you know, I will kind of hold their hand through the process because of the level of anxiety people have with people coming into their home. I think it's something you need to do with support. It's easier with support. Totally, totally agree with that. Yeah. Okay, Pam. So we're winding down and now we have come to the final three questions of the show that we ask everyone. First question, what advice would you give 20 year old Pam? I would say, hey, girl, (laughs) have as much fun as you can. And then I would say, because I started investing right around that age. And um, and so I would buy and flip and, you know, there was a lot of uh, appreciation was really kind of, you know, unbelievable back in Chicago at uh, different points in my career. And so I think I would say all the stuff you're buying, don't sell it. Keep it. Don't keep because I was buying, selling, buying, selling, buying, selling. Just keep it. Figure out, you know, rent it. Figure out something to do with it. Now I would say, you know, put a short-term rental or mid-term rental in it. But you know, hold on to it because you know, because that's how you build wealth. You know, the buying, the selling, the buying, the selling. Okay, I'm you know, I made a lot of money, but the real wealth, the long-lasting wealth, is in the holding of the real estate. 
I agree with that as well. I've I've only sold two things in my life and I've regretted both of them. <laughs> I regret all of the ones that I sold. So, you know, it's hindsight, but that's what I, I that's why I tell my daughter and, and young people, I'm like, okay, buy it and then hold it. When you buy it, you know, in your mind, consider that exit plan. You know, if you want to personally get out of it, if it's in your residence, um, what else can you do with it? So think about that. Um, as you're buying. Actually, before I go to the second question, I have a question that I should have asked during the rest of the interview that I want to ask now. Who does the cleaning? Do you clean it or does do you have somebody else do it? No, I have a uh, service and, uh, you know, I've got a cleaning fee built into my um, arrangement with folks. Okay. And I will say this is one thing. This is one way I had to manage myself because like I said, I'm kind of particular about things. And so there were times early on where I would come back to my home before the cleaning uh, service had a chance to come in. And I'd just be beside myself because, <laughs> you know, not so much of the, you know, the, the cleaning that needed to be done, but people would, you know, rearrange the furniture sometimes, you know, they, whatever, I'd find, you know, a chair upstairs that belonged downstairs or something. And, you know, for me, I was like, why are you moving my furniture? I don't understand. And it was distressing. It was stressful. And so now I have my, the way that I manage myself is that I have my cleaning service come in before I get back home. And when I walk in, it's like it never even happened. Like no one was ever here. And that is how I'm able to, you know, to do it. To do it. (laughs) Okay. That's how I handle me. Awesome. I think that is an important piece of information that I didn't ask previously. So now back to the regular scheduled programming here. Okay. But that's important though, because, you know, you put that in your fee, you build it in. Nobody ever challenges it. Is no one's ever asked me anything about it. In fact, there are people who have stayed longer than four days who have asked for additional cleaning. So you know, people to come in and clean midstay. Which, if you're going to stay with me longer than, I don't know, maybe a week, I want you to have. I I require another cleaning because I need my cleaning people to come in and make sure everything's okay. And right. uh, and I also don't want to come back to a huge mess. Uh, so. So being an attorney, do you, cause I'm always scared. They're going to say like, oh, your cleaner stole my whatever. Do you have them sign anything that says the cleaner's coming back in where, you know, like, like any sort of a waiver? The guest or the, the cleaning service? The guest. Um, I mean, outside of the regular lease agreement, mm-hmm. uh, the, I don't have them. I don't have, I've had not, no issues with it at all, actually. It's not, it's not a part of my lease agreement specifically, um, but I haven't had, I think people anticipate a lot of uh, issues. Mm-hmm. I haven't had them. I haven't had them. I think if you set it up um, and you create a level of trust from the very beginning, like when, in your very initial conversations with people, you know, like I said, they're not coming to, screw things over. They're coming to hang out with their family. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I'm jaded. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. So, you know, I've thought through all of that stuff, right? I'm not just, it's not like it hasn't occurred to me, but I was, uh, I don't even know if I was pleasantly surprised. I was probably shocked at how few issues I've had with the whole situation. Really just 
shocked. I, you know, I've, I've seen all the, you know, horror stories or whatever. I've seen all the sensationalized, you know, whatever Airbnb accounts and the party houses and all that. But um, that's not who's coming and spending as much money as it costs to stay in my house. I think if you have um, spaces where you aren't charging a lot, you have to vet your guest um, maybe a little bit more just to um, just to offset anything that might happen. All right. Great advice. So second question, what advice do you have for a new investor who's looking to get started today in short-term rentals? Mm, you know what? I, I didn't do this. I didn't do this my whole career and I was wrong, wrong, wrong. I would find a mentor because finding someone who's done what you want to do will just escalate your learning and your um your your business and everything that you do you know avoiding all the pitfalls and and the the mistakes and everything that you have to do if you find someone else who's done it and you just you know you're like let me just sit next to you when you do what you do you will advance your scenario so much by osmosis almost <laughs> also great advice and last question What's your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? Um, you mean outside of the, oh, the cool. book series? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So that so you know, the hospitable host book series uh is really cool. And without it being, you know, just self-serving, it is um you get to see how what are we up to uh, almost a hundred different hosts. Um, how they do their business. And it's different for everybody. And that's what I like most about it. It's There's a lot of flexibility. You can kind of do it the way you want. You do it the way it works for you. Like, you know, for us in our house, this, this works for us. For somebody else, it might not. But there are a lot of different ways and you get to read all the host stories and see how other people are doing it. That's pretty cool. Yes, that is it is a great series. And you're right. I, I think that so many people get caught up in like fighting with each other on the internet about the right way to do things that they don't think about the fact that there is a, an innumerable amount of ways that you can be successful in not just real estate investing, but in the short-term rental space. There are a thousand ways to do things and still be successful. And there's no one right and only way. Engineers who are listening, there is no one right and only way. and right. um. I think that's the cool thing about real estate investing is it's kind of a, you know, you you tailor it to what you want to do and what your needs are and what your goals are. And I think that um, that's what's so great about it is there's like you you can do it any way you want. You, there may be certain things that make more money than others, but that's not always what everybody's looking for necessarily. And your goals could change. You know, that's why I suggest that people hold on to the real estate because what initially is a family home may end up being, you know, that midterm rental uh, down the line or what, you know, used to be an in-town place becomes a short-term rental. But just uh, free your mind, you know, kind of think about it. Think about how people use housing what their needs are, and then, you know, have some flexibility in your own mind to be able to service some of those needs. All right. Well, all great advice. Pam, thank you again so much for coming on. If our listeners want to find you and follow you, how can they do that? 
You know, I am, uh, the name of my membership is the Happy Host Academy. So I'm on all the socials as the Happy Host Academy. But I did want to mention, I am uh, hosting a virtual summit for women in March. Um, it's kicking off on International Women's Day. And I'm going to have a series of ladies come on. And we're going to talk about how to host guests in your home. It's just for women homeowners. So, uh, you know, it's just about what I've been talking about today, hosting guests in your primary or even secondary, if you have a vacation home, in a home you already own. Awesome. So it's free. Come check us out. Oh, free. Even better. Y'all go check it out. And Pam, thank you again so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And we will catch you later. Hey, thanks so much. I loved it. Bye.